You did a great thing. Congratulations. Now, pause, reset. You get to start over. Gentlemen, to another episode of Raj Nation Innovations Discover Your Inner Awesome Podcast. My name is Rajiv Nathan, aka the Raj Nation. I am your show's host, the founder of Raj Nation Innovation. I'm also a hip hop artist and a yoga instructor. Above all else, I am a storyteller. And I am joined by my co host, Victoria Cohen. Victoria is the voice behind the blog almondsandasana.com. She's also a yoga instructor and community activist focused on helping you make lifestyle choices that positively impact you and the people you serve. This is Discover Your Inner Awesome, the only show where you get to eavesdrop on conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, and musicians about the stories, the journeys, the struggles, but most importantly, the questions. The questions that help creative thinkers like you and I better understand who we are, what we're doing, and how we can do it better. It's real talk with real people doing real big things to show you the real side of success. In this episode, we sit down with Justin Walker. Justin specializes in leadership development and team building. He is the executive director at Bunker Labs, as well as a former Navy SWIC operator working within Special Forces Insertion and Extraction. Now, before we dive into this conversation, I want to extend an invitation, if you're not a member already, join our tribe by going to discoveryourinnerawesome.com, enter your email address there, and you will never miss another episode of the show, getting an email in your inbox every single Monday when we release new episodes, as well as my stories and tips throughout the week on how to tell your startup story. All right, let's dive in now to our conversation with Justin Walker. How do you transfer leadership skills? I have recently undergone a transition from the military yeah, back in 2015 and over the course of a couple of years I've kind of recognized that a lot of my own skills that I learn in, in regards to leadership don't necessarily transfer as much as you would think they do and you, and you hear a lot of people that are currently either going through transition or people that are, are in the military that they'll, they'll talk about um, their ability to lead people you know leading people into battle they should be you know offered really great jobs and doing really great things and as far as like executives inside of companies you know as soon as they transition and it's just not really the case is <laughs> you know as far as your leadership skills transferring so it, there's a lot of things that need to happen i believe in in regards to in, in in regards to looking at your own leadership skills and how those act directly translate which ones translate which ones don't translate and how to actually pause take a good solid look in the mirror and build a, re- a real relationship with the people you're going to be working with in the near future in order to to develop those relationships because you know a good a good leader in any specific situation re- requires a a specific relationship between the followers and the leader themselves so you've got to actually build that relationship and oh and it takes time you can't just go from one place into the next and expect people to just jump right on board especially the same way they did in the military so as you're as you're in the new world of you know you know corporate America, putting air quotes around that, but as, as you're in this new world, you just can't do the same things. You can't lead the same way. You can't talk to people the same way. There's a lot of finesse involved in that, and I, it's it's on my mind a lot because I, I just see a lot of a lot of uh, I don't want to call it like failed transitions, but 
transitions from the military that are much more difficult than they need to be because people aren't pausing and they aren't taking a good solid look at themselves and they aren't really looking to build those relationships and oftentimes they don't know how which is really upsetting so 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 we have a good the right frame of reference can you talk through what the military leadership experience is like first because i think we, we have a good understanding of the you know working world leadership experience but yeah let's talk through the military experience first so i think i think the best example that i've seen from a corporate perspective is a woman named kim scott who does this uh, ted talk or a, a similar type of talk on youtube around radical candor and the importance of transparency and radical candor in the workplace and how it's so unbelievably necessary in order to have productive conversations and make the organization move forward effectively the military is very good at creating an environment that allows radical candor to take place. And basically what she means when she talks about radical candor, I don't know if any of you have ever uh, taken a look at this, this, this talk, but basically if you look at the X and Y axis on a graph, the Y axis is how much you care, like so caring deeply about the people you're with. And then the X axis is challenging people directly. Now in the top right quadrant, which is where you want to be, so caring deeply and challenging people directly, you have what's called radical candor. And the next best thing you can do is you know, not care, but still challenge directly, which basically creates what she calls an a-hole. <laughs> so, and you know, nobody's shooting for second best here. So, like, but in the military, you, you have that, you have radical candor. You, sometimes you have this, you know, an a-hole that's, that's talking to you and challenging you directly all the time. And they don't really know anything about you. Next thing you have in the bottom left quadrant is what she calls manipulative insincerity. So it's not caring and not challenging people directly. So essentially just sitting there quietly watching people drown. <laughs> so in the top left quadrant, you have what she calls ruinous empathy. So mm. it's like you care a lot, but you're not willing to actually step forward and challenge people. Mm. So now in the military, you have this environment that has been created that allows transparency. It allows candor to just run rampant. So, and, and there's... A, a reason for that on so many different levels that has to take place. So for example, if I'm about to jump out of a plane and I've got a guy in front of me who's also about to jump out of the plane, you know how you line up, you've all seen it in the movies, right? So you line up and your job with, for the person that's in front of you is to check over their, their parachute and make sure that it's safe. So now if I tap that person on the shoulder and I say, hey, your pack's messed up, guy. He's, and he looks over his shoulder, he says, hey, F you, man. Like, I, got, I got this, I know what I'm doing. Like, that's just not the case. And you see that a lot in the workplace, that people are just willing to you know, not listen to the people that are behind them, tapping them on the shoulder, saying, hey, you messed up. You need to fix it. And in the military, that is just so prevalent. Like, it just runs all over the place. Like you're allowed in the military, you're allowed to tap like you someone tell someone they messed up. It doesn't matter who it is. It could be the CEO, it could be anybody. You tap them on the shoulder, you're messed up. You need to fix it. And there's just so much of that that goes back and forth and it goes up and down the chain of command. So if, if my leadership is messing up, it's my responsibility as a follower to say you're messing up. And, and an environment has been created that allows that to happen, mostly in, in the special forces environments, but it's still, it's still prevalent in other areas as well. So as you transfer from the military, that's not necessarily the case. You don't have that transparency and you don't have that candor. And it's not even wanted. Like it, they don't want it. People don't want to be told that they're messing up. They don't like it. They don't respond well to it either. So that's oftentimes like a big struggle for me because when you when I transitioned from the military, I wanted to maintain that. So I would come to you know, new organizations and new people, and I'm trying to create radical candor and transparency within the organization. And it's just it, it's looked at as this this 
terrifying thing to explore. And there's something that, that organizations do nowadays as well, and it's called 360 feedback. So it's getting that feedback from multiple perspectives. And it just that those those multiple perspectives on everything that you're doing in the organization is you know that transparency. And it, it can be absolutely terrifying to hear this stuff for the first time. And that's that's just something that, that blew me away. And for military people that are transitioning, especially enlisted people that have never been to college and they haven't really figured that piece out yet, and they're transitioning into the real world, they think it's they think it's directly transferable mm -hmm. and it's not. You've got to pause and you've got to really take a good look at how you've been training in the military and how and the and what do people around you really want and need. And, and to to do that is extremely difficult and it's time consuming. Yeah, that's super interesting. I worked for Pepsi for five years, and so I am familiar with like the 360 sort of review type thing, but what's really crazy is that even though that process was kind of in place, I never once in the almost six years I was there was asked to give any sort of review of any boss or manager I ever had. And that's Do you think it was a, because you were a more junior position or? No, I don't, you know what? I, oh, don't, I went on, it was of a manager. You're no, saying. of a manager. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not of someone below me. I didn't have mm. anyone below me, but um, no, I was never asked for feedback. And I mean, I had great managers. I had not great managers. I had good and, you know, critical things to say of each of them, but I was literally never solicited once. And I know a lot of other people that were in that boat. So it was um, like 270 feedback. Not yeah, 360. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so it was kind of like selective. I don't, I don't know. Maybe there was like a rhyme or reason and I just was not important enough to know what the rhyme <laughs> or reason was. But, uh, but, you know, surely as someone that was below a manager, I got feedback every year of like, this is what your peers, you know, had to say and, and yada, yada. Um, but I do think that's a really interesting point that you make that in the military, it's so valued, it sounds like, and expected and encouraged to have that kind of radical candor where you care, but you're also giving critical feedback if you see the, the need for it. Whereas my experience in corporate America was, even though maybe on the outside, they kind of act like, oh yeah, you should speak up or say things. It's really not anything that people above you want to hear. And it's not really encouraged like actually encouraged to do that. You know what I mean? I think at a surface level, it's sort of, uh, you know, put out there, oh, sure, sure, you should, you know, you should speak up, but mm, but don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think there's also this, uh, it's almost taboo to build like a real genuine relationship in an organization now for the fear of like, not crossing any, any specific boundaries that could be laid by other people. Yeah. And one of the things I do for organizations, because as soon as you start to care like deeply about other people, you will start to request that feedback. It just it just becomes an innate part of human nature. Like where you as you're as you're going through life, you're just like, how am I doing? Mm -hmm. You'll start to ask those questions, and you'll you'll feel like it's more, yes, uh, okay to to reach out to your leadership and say, hey, this is something that's been bothering me. But when that doesn't exist, when you don't care personally about people, you, you can't really give the opportunity for, for personal growth up and down that chain of command. So one of the things I do for companies, I help them figure that out through creating an environment that allows them to be very clear and transparent with each other and be vulnerable for probably the first time in their, in their actual careers for mm -hmm. some people. And there's, in, in some organizations, there have been people that have sat next to each other for 15 years and don't learn as much as they had in the last five minutes through one of the programs <laughs> and by, by the questions that we ask. Because we ask four specific questions. Who are you? Who do you want to be? How are you going to get there and why? And we, those revolve around several different genres, like mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, familially, communally. 
And when you dive into those and answer those questions for the first time for some people, it's probably the first time they've ever done any sort of self-analysis. And then it's also definitely the first time they've ever shared that information with somebody. So as you start to explore that and you share that for the first time, and you have this, this opportunity to actually like actively listen to what is being said to you, you take notes on things that you find to be interesting, and then you build a real, a real genuine dialogue around those important factors in another human being's life outside of water cooler conversations. How you how the kids, like how's the weekend, all that stuff. You know, you get the basics out the of worst. it. The <laughs> worst. Exactly. So it gives you an opportunity to be real for the first time in the workplace. And as you do that, a real genuine relationship starts to develop. And as you repeat the process over and over again, cross silo, the, the process as well gives you an opportunity to know who you're sending that email to and actually care. Mm-hmm. So it creates that opportunity. You know, I think, Victoria, to your point earlier, I... I think in general, even like the concept of 360 feedback in theory makes sense. And then most people implement it terribly. Uh, Most employees are afraid to give act, even if it's anonymous, they're afraid to give actual feedback or they just want to, you know, want to toe the line and play to egos. Most people, I don't know about most, but a lot of people don't implement feedback that they receive. Mm -hmm. And yeah, seen that. And then that's where you have the, I, I thought the, the point you made earlier, Justin, was interesting in that you said there has to be some level of like vulnerability, right? To share this about someone else in the exercises you were talking about that you run organizations through, they have to be vulnerable themselves. And that's the first time I've actually thought about it in the sense of, um, I would imagine in the military by nature, you have to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I have ever thought of vulnerable as a, as a characteristic of being in the military. Oh yeah, you bet. I mean, if you if you think about it, if you pause and think about it for a minute, you really, especially in the special forces groups, you've really got to know who you're working with. You've, you've got to be able to pick them out in this, as how they walk. Like, you know everything about these people because if, if, if you move too fast, they die. If you move too slow, they die. If you don't pack your gear correctly, they die. <laughs> if you don't plan the op correctly, they like you, every move you make has a ripple effect with other people. And now when you make decisions in life, you ask yourself typically three questions. Is it possible? Can I do it? And what's in it for me? Those are three questions you just ask yourself innately, whether you're buying a cup of coffee or whatever. So in the military, you you get this concept beat into you from day one, which is this fourth question, which is what's in it for other people? So is it possible? Can I do it? What's in it for me? And now what's in it for other people? So when I go get a cup of coffee, you get another one for your friends. And that's just, it just becomes like second nature with everything it is that you do. Mm. And as you, as you do that in the military, it, 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 again, it's, it just becomes, you know, it's, 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 it becomes a, uh, a life, it's a lifestyle about caring about other people. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 it gets ingrained so deeply. So when you transition out, you don't have that anymore. You don't really know how to, how to manage it and how to grow with it. And people, again, it's, it's really hard to create an environment that allows that to grow. So do you think, I mean, it sounds like that would be a super advantageous skill or trait or, you know, training that you would leave the military with is that you have this extra fourth piece every time you encounter a question or a situation where you are thinking about everyone else. But it sounds like the tricky part is then when you, you have that and that's ingrained in you and that's how you make decisions and how you lead. But then you go to an organization that is not 
have that and then you're kind of like uh am i the only one who cares yeah. or is that sort of the yeah, you one feel of like, the things yeah you feel like you're on an island in enemy controlled territory and the only way to get by is to blend into the environment and start being like everybody else so you turn into the same type of turn into the same type of person if you're not too right. careful and not aware of like what's going on so um and, and we always encourage people you know create this environment you have to work to create the environment that allows us to, to foster and develop and it takes time like it's not something that that just started as soon as you know week one day one it's something you experience week one day one whenever you don't shine your boots correctly and the whole team gets to pay for it and like that's <laughs> you know and i have this story i tell in, in some of my programs where i was uh I, I don't know if you've ever heard of mop and glow, but if you put it on your boots, it makes them really shiny. Yeah. And once it dries, it cracks if you if you touch it at all. So you know if you if you ran out of time and cleaning your room and getting things ready, and you're standing at attention outside your room for inspection. When the instructor comes by, they look down at your shoe and they step on it and it cracks. Everyone gets to go hit the surf and go run out into the ocean, get cold, wet, and sandy. And then they get to deal with that for the rest of the day. And then they're pissed off at you for the entire day. And then eventually somebody else messes up and they get it worse. And then now they hate that other person. So <laughs> you start to realize very quickly that every decision you make affects other people. And then that's just repeated over the course of you know two years you know, in, in the training environment. And then it's repeated again as you continue on into a real world uh, experiences. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And, and as you transition out, like you said, you, you just transition into the most selfish environment known to human beings, which is corporate America. Yeah. <laughs> and now, and now you've got to learn how to, you know, transition your leadership skills into into that environment. It's extremely difficult, and you just come from a completely different world. And if, if you don't have a, an environment that's been created by the organization that allows that to happen and take place, then you, you feel alone. A lot of times, you feel alone. So. How do you then, looking at it from the follower or following aspect of it, not like Twitter followers, but like, <laughs> you know, going to a company sure. and being someone who has a boss, has a manager, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> so I come from Boston, et cetera. <laughs> um, if, so I would think it, it would probably be, I don't know about easy, but more natural because you, but you're used to taking orders. Now you go to a corporate environment. It's not as strict, like, you have to do this. You know, there are deadlines and stuff. But is that something that you have to adapt to in a different way or you have to become a different type of follower? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. But, I mean, especially when you transition from, again, like a special forces environment where objectives and missions and tasks are all co-created with your leadership. So when your boss comes in and they say, hey, I think we've got to do this mission, what do you think? Like you, and then you transition into an environment where you have somebody come in and lay a stack of papers on your desk and say, you need to get this done. And you're like, well, do I get a say in how this was ran? And the answer is no, <laughs> and you don't. <laughs> so like, it, to, again, you have to, as an organization, you have to create that environment that allows you to co-create things and it gets people more excited and they get more productive. And they'll, like a person will break their back for you if you involve them in the process of making choices and, and have, giving them a little bit more control over their own life, even a perceived control of the, over their own life by creating that environment. And now does it take time? Sure, is it efficient? Not necessarily at the beginning, but in time, it becomes second nature and, it, and these decisions start to happen faster and productivity will start to increase in the long run. And that's been proven time and time again. <clears throat> One thing I think that I always noticed um, in like corporate America and in my life there that always like it was just a huge pet peeve of mine and 
and it was super rampant. And sometimes I think it was purposeful. Sometimes it was just, you know, people sort of picking up on verbal cues or whatever that maybe would be different in the military is, you know, a lot of things are, are, are teamwork, obviously. So again, I worked at Pepsi and say there was like a launch of a new product. There's not one single person responsible for launching a new Gatorade flavor. There are hundreds and thousands of people along the line. Mm-hmm. But you'd often hear people on calls and on presentations saying, I launched this, I did this, yada, yada. There was a lot of I, 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 and not really a whole lot of we. And I was really conscious of that. I like, I hated to ever just say I did something. I mean, if it was one task that I could very specifically, you know, say that I did, but I understood that it was a team effort. I wasn't the only person who made coconut water. I didn't make it. You know, I, I planned how much we needed to. I didn't to. grow the tree. Yeah, exactly. And, and, And maybe that's partly because I specifically worked in supply chain, so I have a very clear understanding of how everything has to happen for something to get accomplished, and it's not just one person's step. Um, But that was just something that I always, like, really struggled with. But then sometimes it was also sort of explained to me that, well, you have to say I because you need to take credit for things, and that's how you're going to get ahead, and that's how you have to be competitive and have that edge. And surely the people that did say I launched this new flavor well whether or not they you know they actually did that themselves or or not people sort of started to see that person as a leader who had accomplished all of these things Mm -hmm. um and so that was just like an interesting thing that i kind of struggled with not wanting to fall into that lingo Mm -hmm. but at the same time knowing that that was kind of part of what you had to do Mm -hmm. And I don't know, that's just, that's coming up for me right now. And I think that's probably an interesting thing. I don't know if you've run into that. Yeah, I, I, not, not me personally, since mm-hmm. I've transitioned, I've, I've, I've stayed in a world, I mean, with this, the organizations I work with, you know, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. But not me personally through any sort of, of corporate, because I don't work for, you know, a big agency. Right, but you've company, seen it. But I've seen it, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I think a lot of that goes back to having that trust, transparency, and a shared sense of purpose between everybody involved in a project. And you know the you know when I help out with things at the Bunker Labs, I, I'm I'm just one part of the team that that has this national presence and and makes a big impact in a very big way. But you know every single person has this wonderful wonderful thing that they add to the mix that just keeps the organization alive and thriving and going in the right direction. And I'm just a very small piece of that. And the the acknowledgement of that again it goes back to like self awareness and like the the leadership ability and. You know, is it necessary to say like I did this, I did that? Maybe it is. Maybe maybe not. I I, I couldn't. I, I don't have the answer for mm-hmm. that. But I do. I, I I can tell you right now that there's a lot more. There will be a lot more trust involved in in establishing a relationship that acknowledges the we, for sure. And and as as time goes on, you'll you'll see like what's you know, who's doing right and who's doing wrong. Who and who who'll come out on top eventually. But Victoria, did you do you recall? If more, if it was more often men who use the I pronoun versus the we? Uh, no, I can't say because I can think of a lot of women who did it too. Okay. All yeah. Right. There are a lot of studies and research that has been done to show that men are more likely to like take credit, whereas women are more likely to distribute credit. Mm, interesting. Uh, which also plays into then women being, you know, Perception being like, oh, they're not going to be as effective as a leader, right? Because they're not strong, you know, that kind of crap. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. <I> know. <laughs> but that—that's something that you know, in in a lecture I did earlier this year on like diversity in the workplace and things like that. That was one of the things that we discussed that women are 
more likely to deflect attention and want to distribute credit and 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 create a more team environment. I don't know if that's more of like a nurturing aspect because mm-hmm. of that or what, but I do think Justin to your point the I mean if you just think about it, it's way more fun to share in a win with other people than to just just do it yourself. Mm-hmm. For as many championships as Michael Jordan led the Bulls to, mm-hmm. I'm sure, I mean, well, he obviously couldn't have done it if he was a one-man team. <laughs> but having, even though he was the leader, right, he, was, he had the supporting cast, mm-hmm. and each of those he got to celebrate with an entire team, and the whole team got to celebrate with him. You also mentioned earlier the if you bring someone into the decision-making process or the creation, rather, they'll break their back for you. And what comes to mind for me is uh, the Simon Sinek TED Talk about Golden Circle Start With Why. And within that talk, his TED Talk, he mentions if people... What is it? If people work for money, they will give you their time. Mm -hmm. If people work for your why, they will... Work, they will give you their blood, their sweat, mm-hmm. and their tears. Mm-hmm. And that's so crucial because if you, I, mean, I think about the different work scenarios I've been in. And when you're bought into what the company is doing, or not even, you know, because I know it can be hard if it's like a behemoth organization to feel like you have any, you know, actual impact. If you're just bought into what your direct uh, manager is trying to accomplish, if you can see that you think similar to them or that you have some set of shared values, you are so much more likely to go to bat for them and want to defend them and want to honor them in the, honor them in the sense of like do a good job and make them proud. And I think it, I think it goes a, a much I think it goes beyond that in a lot of ways too because yes, like you have to you have to really enjoy what you're doing to if you want to you know end up breaking your back for somebody but then if your leadership and the people on that team really and genuinely care about you as a human being and where you go in life both personally and professionally and that that is that that is acknowledged in the workplace and in in life outside of the workplace it can make one hell of a difference in in somebody's desire to, to come into work every day on time if they're personally invested in your like personal growth as well outside of that again huge difference so I'm curious, um, it's kind of like, I don't know, at Pepsi, there was like these like standard issue interview questions, you know, it was like, tell us about a time when you were in a leadership position where you did X, Y, and Z. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so I'm curious to kind of get back to the idea of like leadership skills being transferable across different, um, different industries, different types of jobs, obviously, specifically in your situation, what you've experienced is leadership in the military versus leadership in, you know, sort of more civilian corporate life. And so what are some of the things that you think have been transferable leadership skills? And what are some of the things that are not transferable leadership skills? Because it sounds like you've got a list of those. Well, I think the, the biggest ones are just the radical candor and the mm-hmm. transparency that you're so used to. That like, that has to almost just stop for a minute. Mm-hmm. It, it can start again in time, but you've really got to pause as you transition and you've got to really it's it's if if anybody in the military is listening to this right now they you really need to pause and observe the environment just as you would on any other mission in the world you've really got to pause you've got to analyze the environment and make sure that it's a safe place before you start acting in any specific way and a lot of times we'll come in we'll be like well i did this in the military so now it's you know 
you should, you should, you know, fall under me. I'm the leader and what, like, no, <laughs> pause and observe the environment and make sure that what you can, what you're so good at in military is, is cultivating like real genuine relationships. You are good at that. And what you can do in the real world too, as you, you know, I don't want to say real world, when you transition, you can actually do that. You can cultivate that environment by developing trust and a shared sense of purpose within you, which you're very good at. Again, you know, talk about the skills that you do have. Take that, pause, observe the environment, start developing real genuine relationships with people in the organization, develop trust and a shared sense of purpose within your team, within the organization, and then move, you know, take it from there. And you'll understand at that point which which type of leadership style you're allowed to kind of start imparting on people, whether mm -hmm. it's you know, a coercive leadership style, which is oftentimes you know, what people see is the military, which isn't always true, but there's all, all you know, so was it, was it uh, six different types of leadership styles mm -hmm. that are out there. But anyways, you, you'll understand kind of which leadership style fits the situation you're in a little bit more if you pause and understand the team that you're working with and the people you're working with. Mm. And we oftentimes forget to pause, you know, and, that, and I, I think that's just people, not just people in the military, but mm -hmm. that's just people as you go from one organization to the next, you forget to pause and just observe the environment. Let's pause 60 seconds for this public service announcement for you startup founders out there listening. The Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast is brought to you by Raj Nation Innovation. If you are not familiar yet with Raj Nation Innovation, let me tell you real quick. I talk to founders pretty much every day who flat out tell me, Raj, we suck at telling our story. Well, my job is to remove the suck. With Raj Nation Innovation, I blend a unique background in both branding and songwriting because, as I'm sure you know, if you've been listening to this show, I am also a hip-hop artist, and so I look at business communication through the lens of entertainment and performance. And with that approach, I partner with growth-focused startups to help them develop their pitch, their story, and their message so they can go raise investor capital and acquire their early customers. Companies like FanFood, Keo, Jiffy Rides, Muses, and more have all gone through my signature brand communication playbook and come out on the other side winning pitch competitions, raising seed funding, and being masters of telling their story. Holler at me at www.rajnationinnovation.com. That's R-A-J Nation, innovation.com. Back now to the show. Another area that I think is important to discuss is leadership is not just, do I have a team underneath me? Do I have to lead them? It's also leadership within interactions that you have and just day-to-day -day things that you're doing. One specific area that, uh, Justin, I know you have a really cool exercise I've observed and been a part of before is basically around like leadership in a negotiation process and that whole um, idea of creating like the, you know, it's like the dollar mm -hmm. and then you have to get the dollar back. Kind of, not, not the sell the dollar, but the, <laughs> yeah. it's like teams A, B, and C right, right. and you have to cut a deal in one way or another. Can you just kind of talk through, you know, give the high level of that exercise, but then yeah. also talk through how we can apply leadership within just interactions like that? I, the, the point of that exercise is to help people understand how emotions affect decision making. And uh, Jennifer S. Larner from Harvard University compiled about 35 years of evidence supporting the notion that emotions powerfully, pervasively, and predictably affect decision making. And this was published in September of 2014. I'd encourage anybody listening to check that out. Pretty fascinating article. And um, so in that exercise, it's, it's specifically designed to create an environment that creates emotional ups and downs and decision-making based on what's going on you know, in that specific moment. And we told them this before we even start, like it's gonna get heated and you're gonna you know, start developing these, these weird conversations. But we give them one minute to negotiate 
each team gets three different rounds and the goal is to yeah, build to just make a deal the only instruction is to just make a deal with somebody and what happens is is you know there's money on the table so if they end up you know making a deal they get to split the money 50 50 or you know 20 30 20 70 or 20 80 or whatever it is whatever split they decide on so um, emotions, but there's three teams, right? So one team's going to get left yeah. out. One team always gets left out. And it's typically the team that turns into a bunch of jerks <laughs> in the, in the no negotiation process. Like there, there's an opportunity to build a real emotional uh, connection there. And it's not much time, but the idea is to just build a real relationship. And sometimes you know, it's really difficult to, to do in just everyday conversations. So we just try to help them see that and, uh, and approach those conversations through the eyes of the other person. So de develop empathy, develop trust through, uh, through building a relationship first and then, you know, go from there. And I think within that too, what's important is the notion that, so let's take negotiation, let's take it to a sense of selling to a customer. You know, a lot of listeners of the show have their own companies. They've got to sell. They want to keep being a company. <laughs> and, that's an area where even though it's a, you know, essentially a one-on-one -on -one interaction, you can exhibit leadership in the sense of what's in it for me, what's in it, what's, what's in it for me, what's in it for other people. Mm -hmm. Understanding what am I going to get out of this, what can I give them, and what can they get out of this. Mm -hmm. The idea is, if I recall from the other exercise, it's you're not trying to necessarily like win a negotiation. Right. You're not trying to lose a negotiation. The idea is I can't remember just the word. Make, just make a deal. Yeah. That's really what the negotiation's all for. It's to just make a deal with anybody. <laughs> and, it, and how you get there is irrelevant. Yeah. That's the interesting part. And it's, and it's like you can be in a situation where you are it's like you're either slave, servant, uh, equal, or like authority and dictators, you know, yeah. it's, it, yeah. I'm getting the words wrong, but yeah. you want to be on that equal ground peer where, peer. yeah, like peer to peer, yeah. where you feel, you both feel like you walked away. Mm -hmm. Getting something. Getting something. Yeah. Not like you feel someone was swindled. And even like, I remember in college, I took a class on, um, it was basically like a class on mediation, which is a really interesting profession mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, because they're not, they're not lawyers. Mm -hmm. Their job is to mediate discussions. So like when the teachers go on strike and CPS administration is on the other side of the fence, they'll bring in a mediator to listen to both sides and to say, so this is what I, this is what they are saying. And then, you know, it starts with like, okay, so what are your needs? Mm -hmm. Could you do without any of those right, things? Right. Those kinds of things. What are your demands, et cetera. And one of the cool things I remember from that class was they always have a, it's called a BATNA, B-A-T-N-A, best alternative to a negotiated agreement. So you know what your ideal thing is, but then you know, what am I, like, what am I okay with leaving? What are your must-haves yeah. and what are your, like, yeah. yeah. What am I okay with leaving with? If I don't get it all, what am I okay with? Mm -hmm. And then you, you basically, try, like, if I recall, you negotiate knowing you have that BATNA that, like, you'll mm -hmm. fall back to which makes you less of like a hard ass going in and more of someone who's willing to do a deal and wants to come to a, a healthy solution. Right. Well, and it, I think the whole idea of, or not the whole idea, but partly what a mediator helps to do is 
act as that third party that uh, removes the emotional aspect that undoubtedly you come to when you are in a disagreement or when you're you know trying to get something and you're um, you know versus someone else. And so yeah, I mean I think that's that's the sort of the perfect example of of you know it sounds like exactly what you're. Um, experiment or I don't know what it was, lesson. Yeah. <laughs> well, and too, it's like the idea is not that you, you're not trying to go in it. You don't want to leave feeling like you've won. Mm -hmm. You don't want to leave feeling like you've had to compromise. Okay. The idea is for both parties to leave feeling satisfied. Mm -hmm. That's the goal in like the mediation process. Mm -hmm. Do we both leave satisfied? Mm -hmm. And that I think to the entrepreneur's perspective, it plays so heavily into things like price negotiation because so often if we're selling something and someone balks at price, we will like cower and back down. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, you want two thousand, three thousand, you want a ten thousand dollar discount? Okay, yeah, we just need we just want to do the deal with you. It falls in it falls into leadership and following as well. So mm. having that peer-to-peer -peer relationship, even if you are senior to somebody in an organization, creating an environment that allows you know, we were talking about co-creation earlier because that creates a peer-to-peer -peer environment. So you're not creating this dictatorship and you're also not, you know, this, you know, this you're not just like, you know, tossing yourself under the bus every chance you get either. So it's creating that environment where you can really build things together. And as you do that, people are just so much more productive and, and they come out of those conversations way happier. <laughs> Especially in the workplace. Yeah. We really need a few mediators in uh, Congress. <laughs> that would be super helpful, I think. They should, Anyways, me they should mediate <laughs> filibusters. That's yeah, what they should right, do. <laughs> Make it 20 hours instead of 10 hours. So um, within this idea of transfer of military leadership, military way of life to working world way of life, specifically on the entrepreneur front, I recall, so we did an episode earlier in 2017 with Scott Hardesty of Ranger Nutrition, prior uh, Army Ranger, and he had that one line where he's like, it's like, you know, because the episode was, was really around, was around winging it and avoiding winging it, because mm -hmm. he has done a lot within, he had done a lot in his business that was like, well, fly by the seat of my pants, let's just yeah. see. How did I get here? <laughs> <laughs> and what he talked about was like being prior military he kind of operates with like task condition standard, if I remember mm -hmm. those three words correctly. And as an entrepreneur, he's not given that anymore, mm -hmm. which made, which led to winging it. So mm -hmm. in that idea of military to entrepreneurship, how does one successfully go from being told what to do mm -hmm. and having like a very rigid schedule to now having to create the schedule and create the responsibility? Mm -hmm. A lot of that has to do with your ability to acknowledge that you don't know what you're doing. So again, it comes back down to self-awareness. You don't know what you're doing, and that's okay. <laughs> like, there's nothing wrong with that. But go find help. So you have to know what you need and when you need it mm. for the two, for two major things that you have to figure out in, in developing a, any sort of business, especially as an early-stage entrepreneur. And a lot of times that's a mentor in a lot of different fields, whether it's sales, finance, funding, marketing, strategy, legal, whatever that, whatever area it is that you need help, acknowledge that you need help is like step number one. Step number two is ask for help. <laughs> like don't, don't sit on it and wait for something to happen. And you, you can end up winging it a lot of times, but you need a mentor, you need an advisor, you need a coach that will help you build that, uh, that mindset and take ownership of the situation. You know, Jack Lawrence has a great podcast night. Take ownership of your environment and your situation 
build the damn schedule. <laughs> like, get to work and build the thing and stop sitting there wondering what you should do next. Like, own the situation, move forward appropriately based on you know, what, you're, what information you're getting from the, the relationships you've developed and then move forward on it. Mm. But you've got you've to acknowledge that you need help first. And Scott did that. You know, he, it's one of the things he absolutely recognized. Like, I got this far on accident. Now I want to turn this into a thing. And so like, let's, let's actually, let's actually move forward and and get the help we need. And that's exactly what he did. And now his business was, has, has made major improvements moving in the right direction because he's, he's acknowledged that he needed help and he got the help he needed. Do you think it is then an advantage or a disadvantage to be a military veteran entrepreneur to, and to be advantage and advantageous for your entrepreneurship pursuit? No, I think it be, I can be absolutely advantageous, but a lot of it, I think the one thing that oftentimes, and it helped me back when I first started my business, is just fear. It's not not understanding that you're, I mean, I was enlisted, so I wasn't I wasn't an officer. I just transitioned from the military in 2015, and I, I had no clue what I was doing. I had no business plan. I had nothing put together, and we just... I actually kind of stumbled upon it. You know, we found a problem, found a solution. Somebody paid us for it, and we were like, "Wow, like, this, is, <laughs> this could be a thing. Like, let's maybe turn it into something." So, then we just went forward on that. But um, you know, the the translatable skills were were just the perseverance and discipline. Once once it was a little bit more established, and once I had more confidence, because you have a lot of confidence in the things you do already in the military. When you transition out, you don't have that confidence anymore. Like Scott, when he's talking about winging it, you don't have that confidence anymore. It's kind of crushed. And then when you don't have confidence to act on things, you just don't act. And that's for everybody in the world, regardless of what profession you were in before. So, um, but military people, I think they have, you know, a very special trait, but it's got to be kind of unlocked. It's like this secret skill that gets unlocked at like level 10. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, but you've got to get there first. And to get there requires, you know, guidance, mentorship, coaching, somebody to help you build the confidence needed to get to that specific level. And a lot of that is an acknowledgement that you don't know what the hell you're doing. And once you've acknowledged that, you're going to be so much better off <laughs> and, and, and more capable. And a lot of military people, one of the things they do very well on, on top of those things is they'll, they're willing to find people to coach them. And they find that in the military really easily. It's almost handed to you as soon as you find a new leader. In the Navy, we call them like a sea daddy. It's like somebody that comes in and is like your coach, your mentor. They've been in the Navy or the military for you know, 10, 15, 20 years, and they just end up being your coach at the early stages. And they're, they're placed in your lap to like give you, you know, direction. Now, in the, in the real world, you have to go find that person. You know, as you transition out, you have to search. You, have to, you, know, you don't know who to trust. You don't know who to talk to. You don't even know where to start. But you have to start. <laughs> so it's oftentimes one of the hardest things to do for transitioning service members is to say, I need help. I'm going to go find it. Like, do that and you, and you should be pretty, pretty well off in a very short period of time. But you got to put in the work. How, does how do non-military people be more em- empathic or empathetic? Empathic. Empathic. Yeah. <laughs> towards military veterans you said they have, there's something that needs to be unlocked so how do you be more empathic in order to help unlock that thing that's not something i don't think that can be created i think that's something that is, is either innate because you know somebody that has served you know somebody very close to you that it, you know it, it's got to kind of be some sort of internal motivation or drive to go help a, a specific group of people mm. and um you know, a lot of that also has to do with the transitioning service member. If that transitioning service member, if, they, if that person's had a bad experience with somebody in the past, yeah. 
who was prior service, who was a jerk, which is totally possible, <laughs> then, you know, why would they have any sort of desire to reach out in the future? So a lot of it is, is relying on transitioning service members to take their ego and in, 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 in the, the piece where they expect the world to just give them everything in this, in this entitlement perspective, like I served my country, so now you owe me, that has to go away. It has to be like, okay, I served my country, great, that was a piece of what I've done. Now it's time to move forward. I'm gonna take that, that bar that I'm setting for civilians to treat me, you know, anything beyond thank you for your service, like take, take the ego bar, lower it all the way to the ground, dig a hole, like <laughs> bury it and run the opposite direction. <laughs> and now, and then go build genuine relationships starting from zero. Yeah. And I think people, especially transition service members will be surprised at how well that's received. And then people that are you know, uh, civilians and people that have not served will be so much more you know, excited to have Receptive, a conversation yeah. when you're not sitting there jamming your you know, your military history down their throats, <laughs> expecting to, to be, you know, given something in return. Like once that goes away, you'll actually have a real genuine, a real possible genuine relationship being developed. Do you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm? Uh, no. <laughs> no it keeps I coming know, up. I know. But there was an episode on the newest season where uh, Jeff's daughter is marrying a, mil a military veteran and the whole episode is centered around how Larry refuses to say thank you for your service. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, get rid of that. Whole thing. Just, just bury your ego and move forward, and people will be so much more receptive. Yeah. And just don't even, you know, it doesn't even have to be a, a main topic of conversation. You know, it, you are you are a human being first, and then a, a service members, you know, second. So, like, acknowledge the things you are as a human being in conversation, and when you're building relationships, and you know, if people are curious about your service, you know, talk about it if they ask. Like, don't make that the center of why you should be given everything in the world. Like, it's not not a realistic request. <laughs> so. so let's transition and talk about uh, your business, your background. So uh, you specifically, you work with several high profile organizations around the concept of leadership development, team building, executive coaching. Can you let our listeners know uh, just a little bit more about your your business, your background and, and what you have going on? Yeah, so I spent 12 years in the Navy as a SWIC operator, Maritime Special Forces Insertion Extractions, getting people in and out of really bad situations for the limb. And um, in that time, we recognized that students had a very difficult time overcoming the mental barriers in the training program. So uh, creating an environment that uh, developed trust and a shared sense of purpose at a very early stage in the boot camp stages of, of training. And in that, they were able to increase graduation rates by over 800% for the students that we were training. So we decided to take that out into the world and start helping organizations and people uh, understand the value of the person standing next to you. And we do that through uh, the, you know, those four questions we talked about earlier and creating an environment that is, it's a very structured environment of, of dialogue between two different people. And again, trying to, to, to do that between silos as well. So um, in, in individuals on like one-on-one -on -one coaching, kind of the same concept. So we help get that, that perspective of people running. I mean, I'm going to go to your family. <laughs> I'm going to talk to your family. I'm going to talk to your kids. I'm going to talk to your wife. I'm going to talk to your, your, your dog. <laughs> yeah, every, I'm going to get all these perspectives on who you are as a human being. And I'm going to feed that to you. And we're going to see how you react to it. And it's not always the nicest thing to hear for the first time, but I'm not here to be your friend. <laughs> so I'm here to be a coach. So, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting environment that gets created to develop trust and a shared sense of purpose for the companies I work with. What do you find is maybe like a consistent pattern or theme that comes up through the different executives you've worked with? 
I think it's a, a desire to even talk to the people standing next to you is not there. Mm. Like they, the, when you, when you show up to where people are just, they're just there to get the job done. And then when they, it's not a fun environment for them to be in, it's not exciting. And I, I go through this exercise that talks about, you know, teams on a good day and teams on a bad day. And in, in, in our world, they have to function the same. Like on the worst day when everything's going to crap, you still have to function as, as though your team is on a, you know, on a good day. So you got to communicate well, you've got to trust each other, you've got to collaborate, you got to, you know, you got to move and get things done you got to be productive. So, and you know, in, in the corporate world, that's not necessarily the case on a bad day, finger pointing, yelling, screaming, not communicating, not trusting, like all that goes away. So we try to develop that in organizations as well. So, um, but that's probably the common theme is just a lack of desire to, to really reach out to the people standing next to you. And you talked about it earlier, we, you know, as, as people, you know, they have the I mentality, everything's about me. So you don't even have a desire to get to know these people. You just don't even want to talk to them. You're like, are you really that type of person? <laughs> and, they're, and they're not, that's the yeah. thing. They're not that type of person. And then if we give them a chance, which is what I do for companies, I go in and I give them a chance to be a real human being for three hours. And then they can go back to being a jerk for a little bit. But yeah. I give them a real opportunity to be a human being, share a story, talk to each other, communicate as though you're two human beings first, and then your coworkers second. So once that's uh, once that's been created, it, it it changes the entire environment. But yeah, once we get over that hump, things get much easier. I think even too on the idea of you know coming in on a bad day and it not really being that big of a deal in the working world. I've even found with when you work at a company, especially when you're younger in your first few years of your career, like <laughs> the desire to like go out on a weeknight and like just be hungover at work on like a Wednesday and Thursday, like that is so prevalent. And then now running my own business for the last few years, it's like, man, that's so irresponsible <laughs> if I decide I'm just going to be like super hungover on a Thursday or a Wednesday right. for this podcast or you know, I'm going to basically half-ass all my responsibilities for a day because I'm just like, yeah. Mm -hmm. And what happens then? I, my business makes less money as a result. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I, I was talking to a group of students well, once. Jump, yeah. jump in right there real quick. But like, if, and if you take that, that concept in the in, into like big, you know, Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies where people still do this stuff mm. it, and they pause for a moment to think about how that's affecting the people on their team. If I show up hungover, I'm not able to perform well, which means my team doesn't perform well, which means guess what? You know, maybe we don't get the same funding for next year. Maybe we don't get to perform on the same tasks or we don't get the good, the good deals, the good opportunities or whatever, or maybe you just get fired one or the other. But it's, uh, it's just people just don't understand the ripple effect. Mm -hmm. They don't understand. That's that fourth question you were talking about earlier. What's in it for other people? So if I go do this thing right now, even though it's just me and nobody's around me watching, if I go do this right now, what's the ripple effect? And when you start asking yourself that question, you'll start to make better choices. Yeah. Now, uh, one last thing before we wrap up. Uh, you're also executive director at Bunker Labs. Um, we've had a few different Bunker Labs alumni and as well as Todd Connor, the CEO of Bunker Labs on the show in the past. Your role is specifically leading the programming, leading the curriculum and the courses. Um, what has that opportunity done for you? Oh, it's, it's been an, an incredible opportunity for me to grow both personally and professionally. I, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, when I transitioned out, I, I didn't really, I mean, I, I didn't know what I was doing with my business. So I reached out as a student first and as part of the bunker. And as I started understanding the importance and the value 
that what the Bunker Labs is doing in order to help military veterans transition into the world of entrepreneurship, I, I latched onto that wholeheartedly. And then you know, there was an opportunity with my background in curriculum development, instruction, and coaching people to come in and do this for people that are starting their businesses. So um, in doing that, I've learned so much about myself. Um, again, like I say, it's a, it's a very wonderful opportunity to grow personally and professionally. And, and when I say personally, probably per more personally than, than professionally in a lot of ways. I learned a lot of ways to, to run my business. I learned a lot of ways to not run businesses. <laughs> and I've, I've, and you know all my stories, yeah. about, you know, you know, failed partnerships, et cetera, in the past. And, um, you know, wasting tons of time, effort, and money all in the wrong directions. And then finally kind of figuring things out and becoming a little bit more stable. It took a, it took a few years to do that. But so personal, pers uh, personally though, um, it's helped me become a, a much better human being, I think, in a lot of ways, because uh, you, you, you interact with so many different people. You've got to lead in so many different types of environments. It's not always, you know, rosy red and it's not always terrible, but you have to find this, either this, this interesting dyadic relationship between you and the students that are part of the program, as well as the subject matter experts that you recruit from larger companies and organizations, as well as the sponsors. So it's this this environment between everything from you know Fortune 100 companies all the way down to idea phase entrepreneur and all these different types of relationships that you've got to learn how to function well in between. So as you start to do that, you learn a lot about yourself <laughs> in the process. And I actually learned that I wasn't like I I personally had a lot of uh, issues that I had to overcome in order to to become a better team player, even on the Bunker Labs team, because mm -hmm. I I wasn't again I was taking some of my leadership skills and some of the things I learned. And bringing that radical candor and transparency into the Bunker Labs team, and that again, that's not that's that's not a healthy thing to do right away. It takes time to develop those relationships and, and the conversations that allow that that uh, that trust and transparency to grow over time. And um, so that's you know one of the one of the probably bigger things I've learned is to just pause and really reflect on how I'm impacting other people as well in you know in a non-military environment. So. Great opportunities all the way around as a human being. Yeah, awesome. I have enjoyed being a mentor advisor for yeah. the different cohorts at Bunker Labs for almost two years now. Yeah. Well, over, I, right? I, no, it was August of last year. Okay. So yeah. about a year and a half yeah, now. It's uh, often, oftentimes the the best, uh, most ranted and raved on class <laughs> that, that the students huh. get to get to experience. So I appreciate your contribution. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good. So Absolutely. to wrap up, then we'll go one by one and give what we believe our answer is to today's question. We'll start with Victoria, and Justin will close with you. Victoria, our topic today was how do you transfer leadership skills? I really liked um, the idea of sort of pa pausing as you transition from, uh, you know, whether it's military to corporate life or from being a leader in a corporate um, job to being a leader in a startup or to starting your own thing or whatever it is to sort of take a second to step back and reassess how the situation is different and how a different type of leadership might be necessary. Um, maybe it's a company that's already super developed and they kind of already have a way that they do things. And so maybe you, you kind of need to form a little bit more into that, or maybe it's that you're creating it from scratch. So I think that idea of pausing and sort of pivoting is really cool. My answer, how do you transfer leadership skills? One of the things that I called out of this conversation was the notion or the idea that regardless of what the past experience was and what the next, the current or the future experience is or is going to be, um, the methodology is probably going to have to change, as you alluded to, Justin, with the military uh, to non-military experiences. 
But I think the idea is to look at in my in the past experience of leadership, what and specific like scenarios, what feeling was I trying to create? What emotion was I trying to create within the environment? And okay, functionally I had to do it this way in the past to create that emotion. But now it's a new day, it's a new time, it's a new environment. Rather than saying I'm going to execute the same way because it worked, it's saying, okay, what's the emotion we're trying to create? And is it the same as before? Okay, it is. Now go from that point. Using the knowledge I have in front of me with this group of people, with this environment, in this time place, what do I need to do functionally to create the emotion? Mm-hmm. Justin, how do you transfer leadership skills? And it's actually kind of a mix. My answer to this is kind of a mix between the two things you guys mentioned. And I would, I would say, you know, in the pause, as you're, as you're observing the environment, make time to get to know people. Really get to know them beyond, you know, what do you do here? What do you do for the company? Like, move beyond that. What do you do as a human being? Again, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, familially, community. What do you do in all these areas? What type of person do you want to become? How are you going to get there? Get to know people on that level and then co-create your leadership style based on the information you receive with these people. And again, when I say co-creation, like, it's it's it that'll that will allow you to just gather as much information as you need in order to de- to to deliver and receive feedback in whatever environment you find yourself in. But it all starts with getting to know people first, and then you can move from there. Justin Walker, thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks, Raj. Appreciate it. That wrapped up our conversation with Justin Walker. Justin, thank you so much for sharing your journey, your experience, your story with our audience. Did you, the listener, enjoy this episode? If so, the best compliment you can give us is a rating and review on iTunes. Ratings and reviews help more people find the show. Therefore, more people get to discover their inner awesome. While you're leaving that review, go ahead and subscribe to the show on whatever platform it is you listen, whether that is iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, or the various other podcasting platforms in which you can find us. For full show notes, references, and resources, as well as Justin's contact information, grab it all at discoveryourinnerawesome.com. This was the penultimate episode of Season 8. That's right. Next week, we bring you our season finale featuring Lisa Sohan-Paul of Nom Nom's World Food. That'll tie a bow on this one. Thank you again to Justin Walker for joining us. For Victoria Cohen, I am Raj Nation. You have been listening to the Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. We will see you next time. But in the meantime, take care. And be awesome today. My baby's sweet, I mean she's sweeter than all outdoors. Love course in my veins and I'm of my pores. Won't you and I need you? Won't you come and see me? I want you.